Hello and welcome to Conversations in Economic Central. Today we're lucky enough to have Paul Bloxham back on our podcast. Paul, as you know, is the Chief Economist of from HSBC Bank and Paul joins me today to talk about the state of the economy, what's happening and what are the issues we're facing. So without further ado, let's get over to Paul. Paul, this, this is why I love talking to you. So let's start with that. So, so Paul, great sure. to have you back on to talk to the students here at Shenton again. Can we start by just talking about why is this just such an amazing time to be uh, studying economics? Well, uh, there's so much going on. I mean, if we look yeah. around the world right now, you've got a lift in inflation that we haven't seen yeah. uh, the likes of since the early 1980s or the 1970s, yeah. so really strong inflation. Interest rates are set to rise. They're already lifting. Um, you've got geopolitical events playing out in, yep. in, in Europe, of course, and that's yep. having a big impact on global commodity markets. Certainly. And then what's going on in Asia with COVID and China and the pandemic. And so it's a very uncertain time. There's all these different shocks on the supply side and on the demand side hitting yep. the global economy and the local economy. And you might think, actually, that the first instinct is to throw all the economic models out the window and say, well, actually, how none of them are working. But it's precisely the opposite. I'm in more demand than I would normally be because yeah. people are turning to me and saying, well, how do I make sense of all of this? Mm. And of yeah. course, I mean, of course, the, you know, the main framework for trying to make sense of this is having a very good structured view on how the macro economy interacts, what happens with inflation, what happens with GDP, what happens with growth, what happens with labour markets, how should interest rates respond mm. to these things, how should policymakers respond. Yeah. We talk about supply side shocks and demand side shocks. And one thing that's happened in the last little while, um, over the last couple of years, of course, through the pandemic and now with these other events as well, is there's a whole lot of focus on the supply side. Yeah. Because a lot of the way you frame, the way you think about growth and the economy, and mostly it's about watching demand indicators. We talk yeah. about what consumers are going to spend and what businesses are going to invest. And we talk about how much confidence they've got. Um, but a lot of the developments that are really driving the key things right now are supply chain disruptions, higher yeah. shipping costs, uh, factories not being able to operate at their normal capacity, uh, disruptions to commodity supply because of geopolitical events. Yeah. And so we're very focused on that part of the economy in a way we haven't been for, for a long time. And I think in a sort of way that we haven't been since, arguably since the 1970s, when yeah, supply side shocks were a big driver of global macroeconomic features. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. It's certainly a very exciting time to be looking at it. So in terms of our economy here in Australia, what would you say is the current state of the Australian economy at the moment? Well, I think that there are some pluses and some minuses. I mean, I, I know the economists are typically saying, you know, there's an on the one hand and the other hand. Yeah. Well, I think there are at the moment. I think, I think the positive is we got through the pandemic pretty well. Yep. Uh, we're in better shape than a lot of other locations. Yes. A lot of that came down to very strong health outcomes. Yes. We used this powerful tool. And in Western Australia, of course, the tool was even more powerful of closing the border, keeping the thing yep. out until the community was fully vaccinated. So at that point, the health impacts have been much, much smaller than a lot of other countries. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the government used an enormous amount of, delivered an enormous amount of stimulus in the form yeah. of the JobKeeper program and all of the checks to households and the fiscal support, but also what the RBA did with its interest mm -hmm. rate settings. Yeah. So we did well through the pandemic, but I think uh, we are in for tougher times now. Yeah, it is going to get a bit more complicated. And, yeah. and a part of the challenge there is we have delivered a lot of support but yeah. now governments need to start considering that they've got to pull back on that support 
Uh, and in addition to that, the world is facing this very large shock, this inflationary shock mm. on the supply side. Lots of supply disruptions in commodities, uh, for manufactured goods, for shipping costs. And so the supply disruptions themselves are starting to flow over to being a part of the narrative here in Australia. And so we've got higher inflation as well. We've got an RBA that's going to have to lift interest rates and is set to mm. uh, fast, much faster than they thought they would. That's right. Um, and, and a government that faces a much, much, I think, I think the way to frame it would be policymakers have far fewer choices, yes. far less optionality yes. in a world where inflation is higher. Correct. Because they can't, if the economy slows down or things weaken, they can't just lower interest rates because inflation's already high. Yeah. They can't just deliver more broad-based fiscal support Correct. because it just pump primes the economy further yeah. and drives inflation high. You've got fewer options. And again, coming back to a framework, you know, for for, for students and, and for economic people to think about, you know, what we're trying to do at, in the macroeconomic world, at least, policymakers, is grow demand in line with supply. Yeah. And we're trying to do that in as stable form as possible. Yes. But right now, demand is okay and it's been lifting and there's momentum. Yeah. But the supply side of the economy's got lots of challenges. The it. only way we the only way we can grow demand in line with supply is by slowing demand down. And the only way we do that is by pulling back, lifting interest rates. And yeah. and, and so literally we're delivering a slowdown in the economy to get the inflation out of the system. Yeah. And of course, that's a pretty challenging set of policy choices. Absolutely, uh, because uh, it brings it brings other consequences. Limited. Yeah. So what do you that's think, right. of, do you think the main issue facing us in Australia then this year is going to be inflation? I, I think so. I think cost of living rises. I mean, as we saw play out through the election campaign, inflation's now running at rates we haven't seen for quite mm. some time. Yeah. It's got momentum. Yeah. Um, wages growth is not, Keeping up yet, so households are being a bit sque being squeezed in terms of their 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 real disposable incomes and what they can therefore spend. Uh, the inflation has enough momentum that the RBAs obviously turned quite quickly to being quite yeah. worried about it. And so interest rates are set to rise. Yeah. Higher interest rates, see the housing market cool. Um, yeah, I think I mean I think I think inflation is is the global challenge, mm. um, but yeah. also it's become the local one too. It's us. Now, so do you think that we're going to see the return of stagflation? I mean, I, I'm even people as old as me. Aren't, <laughs> I don't really remember it. I was too young. So do you think that's that's a possibility that stagflation is going to come back and hit us? I think we have to be careful about what we mean by stagflation, yeah. what we define, because yeah. people do talk. Stagflation was this concept in the 70s, and it was a very clear sort of set of things that were going on. Yeah. Inflation had lifted, and it was mm. running at double-digit rates in lots oh, of gosh, locations. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was persistent. It was there for years and years. It was right. persistent. And it happened at the same time what we had was a pick, we had, we'd had high unemployment rates and weak economic growth. And so, you know, high unemployment, weak economic growth yeah. and persistent inflation, um, that is not a good state of the world. And we refer to it as stagflation. Mm. So where we are right now is inflation has picked up. Uh, unemployment rates, though, around the world are still very low. Actually, yeah. employment yeah. growth is quite strong. Most places, there's a reasonable amount of momentum in, in the growth story. So to get to stagflation, we've got to probably see a bit more persistence of the inflation. It's got to start to be the case that it is disrupting growth in a way right that weakens labour markets, that unemployment yeah. rates start to rise. And, and for that to happen, it's got to become embedded in right. the system yeah. that people, households, businesses, unions, workers all start to expect that actually yeah. inflation is going to be higher, they demand higher wages, and that that, and that that weaves together to leave you in a sort of 
a suboptimal equilibrium, if you yeah. like. It's yeah, just yeah. not a great equilibrium to be in with inflation yeah. that's high and unemployment rates. And and the way that ended, as as uh, you know, for students of history, is in the U.S. Uh, Paul Volcker, the chairman of the Federal Reserve in the late 1970s and the early 1980s, slammed the brakes on the economy, put interest rates up to 17 or 18 percent in that economy, and pushed the economy into a recession in the early 1980s in order to get inflation back down. Yeah. And then central banks essentially started trying to control inflation. They adopted yeah. inflation targets. Yeah. And since then, we've had this inflation targeting regime because yeah. inflation is so um, in, in insidious in terms of its, it in, the yeah. damage it can do. And I think so that's I guess what probably students don't necessarily understand because they've never experienced inflation. They don't, you know. That's right. So to, lived in to believe that we time. would get... Exactly. So to yeah. believe that we would get an infl a stagflationary environment, that it would actually end up being like that, would be to believe that central banks are going to completely lose their credibility yeah. or that they're going to or, or their mandates are going to be shifted, changed so that they don't target inflation anymore. So I would say that we're not likely to end up in yeah. that um, yeah. equilibrium. That's that would be my view. But I think yeah. there's certainly hints of the stagflationary risk that are that are that are very yes. clear with rising yeah. inflation, high commodity prices, disrupted yeah. supply chains, slowing mm -hmm. economies. I mean, growth is slowing. Unemployment rates haven't started yeah. lifting yet. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Now, so we, we know inflation here, we know it's rising. Can you explain to students how some of this inflation has come around from these supply side issues? How does that manifest itself into the economy? Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the obvious things is the pandemic itself has disrupted a lot of supply chains. Quite early on in the pandemic, one of the things that got disrupted in Asia quite severely was the production of semiconductors, chips, yes. that go into basically every manufactured good that you can think of, because, of course, everything's a smart product these yes. days. Yeah. And so it just disrupted the supply chains and the production of those things, like things like motor vehicles and, mm -hmm. and televisions and all the things, electronic goods you can think of. At the same time that actually the Western countries, the Western world in particular, went to want to buy a lot more of those things because they weren't spending any money on services. You know, the lockdowns through 2020 and 21, yeah. the constraints on people's yeah. services, they couldn't go traveling, they couldn't go to the theater or the restaurants. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, all the sporting events and what they did instead was they spent more money on goods. Um, so goods demand was strong, good supply was constrained and you can, you know, supply and demand forces the prices higher. Really? Yeah. So, that's one of one of the features of what's happened. Yeah. Another feature of what's happened is that oil, you know, uh, oil price and other commodity prices yes. have been gradually rising through the pandemic as well. Again, part of it's an improving economy and increasing mm. demand and low yeah. interest rates and the stimulus that's been going yeah. on. But a part of it is also pandemic related. I mean, for for agricultural production, particularly a lot of, you know, labor has been displaced. A lot oh. of farmers haven't been able to get do production and so on and then of course we've had the additional supply side shock of the russia ukraine yeah. war which is highly disruptive to Absolutely. two large commodity producers yeah, and so that's lifted producers. commodity prices further yeah. so so you know there are that's at least a couple there's there's another one i think that's probably important as well um and that is uh shipping costs are up so you know, yes. the pandemic itself disrupted shipping globally yeah. in the sense that ships couldn't pull into port if they had people who were infected. Right. Ports had to close for periods of time. We've got this huge misallocation of shipping containers across the world yeah. and it just slowed down. It, it gummed up the supply chain. All of those things overlaid yeah. and combined. Have seen, and then, of course, it um, takes time for it to write itself, doesn't it? You know, you don't just instantly have your supply chain working perfectly again. 
No, that's right. And and so actually, this is the heart of that is that it's it's a very hard task mm. for policymakers. I mean, yeah. think about what macro policymakers can do. Um, central banks can lower interest rates, reduce the cost of funding, loosen financial conditions. Um, they can they, mm. they they can do that. Governments, well, they can go out and deliver fiscal support. They can yeah. build infrastructure. They can give checks to households, they can provide direct support for households in the form of you know, wage, or they can provide direct support for tax cuts or direct support yeah. for businesses. But none of those things fix the actual core problems that we're describing. No, um, and so now the problem is, you know, in the in the pandemic, in the early pandemic, inflation was low and we started off yep. with low inflation, disinflation yep. reforms. We did, yeah. And so central banks could cut interest, central banks could cut interest rates, governments could deliver stimulus, and yep. it was all kind of unconstrained. Yep. But now inflation's lifted, so they don't have those same options to deliver right. use those same tools. Yep. And so the, the only way to get the inflation out of the system is to slow the economy down, is to slow growth down. Yeah. It's, it's, it's to literally lean on demand and get demand to fit into the space yeah. that they've got, yeah. which is a smaller supply supply side, a weaker supply side than, than yeah. they had previously. Yeah. It's a very unpalatable situation. It, it means it slower is. growth, higher inflation, and, it and, and it's, it's just fewer policy options. Absolutely. Which leads me on to my next question, which is about investment. Investment is still, I think, about 11% of our GDP, which by our standards is low. When do you think you might see that figure start to rise back to the sort of levels we would normally expect in Australia? So it's a great question. Um, I think the forward indicators, like the CapEx survey, if you look at the ABS website, you'll find that there's something called the CapEx survey. It's got projections yep. for the next couple of years. Businesses yep. are actually saying that they intend, non-mining businesses and miners to a degree, are saying that they're intending to do a bit more investment. So we probably are past the trough right. on that. It's probably okay. already going to lift. Yeah. I, I guess one of the key questions is, how far does it lift? Why is it lifting? Well, it's lifting because uh, interest rates have come down. It seems to have stimulated businesses. Businesses see the need to invest in capital because they can't get as many workers at the moment. That's probably yep. a factor. The, shut, the closed borders constrain the availability of labour. And so yep. there's a substitution that goes on with businesses. say, so, well, if I can't get the workers, I can I can invest more in capital. And, and that's part of it. I think yep. there's probably a retooling, a retooling argument, post yep. sort of post-pandemic retooling argument where... Yep. A lot of firms are going, well, actually, the way I do business is now different to how yeah. it was pre-pandemic. Yeah. So I need to invest in sort of new capital, perhaps new computers, perhaps new phones, perhaps a new truck, perhaps whatever it happens to be yeah. to, to deal with this new adjusted framework. And then the other one is, well, a big part of what the government delivered in form of the form of stimulus through the pandemic was support and yeah. and, and to, to encourage businesses to do investment. So so it is lifting. Um, right. So, there, so the there's good question, news on the horizon. There, there is, there is, a, there is a positive story there. Um, I guess the question, the, the question I'm asking as an economist, of course, is how, how, how long sustained will this be? You know, is this very related to just, you know, pandemic adjustments, yeah. uh, stimulus measures from the government? Does it sort of wear thin quite quickly? And we start off at quite a low level of investment as a share yeah. of the economy. Um, so we, you know, we have to, we have to think about the fact that it, you'd want it to lift in a sustained way, yeah. and then, of course, you want it. To, to be it, to be clear that it's also productivity enhancing that is an optimal allocation Absolutely. of investment that actually helps us grow their economy uh, grow our economy in a sustained sense which, which does lead me on to my question on politics which I know is a, a subject close to your heart Paul do you do you think we're going to see a renewed focus on the supply side of the economy and productivity reform 
do you think that's one of the the things that's going to come out of this pandemic is that we will see that move towards productivity again it's a great question and i'm going to use an old you know textbook type way of framing it i can break up my thoughts into the normative and the positive right yeah. i can tell you what i think is going to happen yes. and i can tell you what i think or ought to happen yes and i can I, and as in my job i spend a lot of time sort of trying to make it clear to clients and, and people that most of what i'm telling you is what i think is going to happen yeah uh, if you ask me what i think ought to happen it can often be quite different yes. so in this case that's quite useful i don't think there's going to be a lot of supply side reform right. i think that the main things we need to look at are the tax system yeah and you know if you listen to what the government said through the campaign and if you listen to what they've said even after the election mm -hmm. there isn't an intention to deliver broad-based tax reform yeah. uh, because that wasn't taken to the taken to the to the yeah. election there isn't necessarily an intention to do a lot on competition policy, mm -hmm. which I think is another area where Australia needs to really focus. I think we need to have a more competitive economic environment, would, yes. would encourage more innovation. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, those are two, at least, key ones for me, top of the list, that I'm not sure we're gonna see much of, but uh, putting my, 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 um, my, my, my hat on with the sort of what ought to happen, yeah. I think they ought to be in focus. I think they, they are the key things we need to look at in terms of, and again, what it comes back to is this. It comes back to setting the environment up, the tax system and the competition in the economy, such that businesses then have the right incentives yeah. to invest and hire in the right areas. Yes. And they're the ones, actually, they're the pointy end of productivity, right? You, aren't, yes. you don't get the productivity from the government. You get the productivity because you've got businesses that operate in an environment that actually encourages them to innovate, uh, try new things, and to make the economy run more efficiently and more effectively. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, no, I, I'm not. I'm not overly hopeful that we're going to see a reform agenda. Yeah. But look, we've had a change of government. We've, this is the first, you know, time the Labor's yeah. been in power since in, in eight and a half years. That's right. Yeah. There is a grand a grand opportunity here to grasp yeah. that change and potentially do some of the things that we need in order to get the economy to be more dynamic and to lift productivity growth. Which would certainly help get us out of some of the, get around some of the issues that you've, you've talked about previously today. If you lift productivity growth, you improve, you're improving implicitly the supply side of the economy yeah. and you can then grow faster and you can create more jobs and you can do it all with less inflation. So yes, yeah. absolutely. It is yeah. the key. I mean, the, 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 the first order issues we have are around availability of labor quite mm -hmm. frankly and one of the things that we need to move fastest with on the supply side is reopening the border and encouraging people to come here because yeah. in my view that that system worked quite worked really well in terms of yeah. getting available labor from offshore yeah and that's got to be a critical feature and in western australia again the border having been closed even more tightly for longer yeah. i think that it, that issue is particularly critical it's, 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 it's really, really, and there right are now. businesses who are really struggling in western australia not because they're not good businesses they just simply cannot get people to do the jobs i mean it, it, it is becoming that's increasingly right. important to sort out um now that leads me on to my next question which is about the budget deficit which clearly is quite a large deficit due to the stimulus. Why do you think bringing that budget deficit down will be a key objective for any government in the short to medium term? Well, I, I think there's a there's a few aspects to this. The, firstly, in the short term, I think it's perfectly reasonable to run a budget deficit. I mean, that's we're there for a reason. Mm. We provided a lot of support through the pandemic. A lot of it was very much needed and so on. My worry is not so much about the short run. It's about the fact that if you look at the budget that came out in late March, 
you know, the government was, you know, the estimates from the Treasury show that we're in what's called a structural budget deficit all the way out to the end of the horizon in 2032. Yeah. So they're looking ahead 10 years and saying in 10 years' time, we will still have a budget deficit, mm. and it's a structural one. What does a structural budget deficit mean? What it means is that they are, on the basis of the current policy settings, the government will spend more than it expects to get in tax revenue. Yeah. So if you want to close that gap, you have to either get more tax revenue or yep. spend less. less and yeah. the, the concern I have is not about is not about the short run. It's about the fact that the, the numbers suggest that we're out there in the distance still running budget deficits. And I worry that, well, that's a 10-year horizon. I mean, it's pretty reasonable to expect over the next 10 years that there will probably be some global negative shock that comes along. Absolutely. I mean, we had one in 2008 in the form of the yep. global financial crisis. Yep. We had one in 2020 and 2021 in the form of the global pandemic, yep. which is still ongoing to a yep. degree. Yep. Um, what are the chances that over the next 10 years we don't have another shock where we have to deliver more fiscal support? Mm. Well, we have to start making sure the budget's in good enough shape to be able to provide that sort of additional support when it's required. And so... Yep. Um, how do you do that? Look, it's hard. It's Jeez. politically, it's hard. Um, yeah. Make the tax system more efficient so it better delivers revenue. Yeah. Uh, find ways to more, better allocate spending so you're spending less in general, but you've got the challenge of an aging population, yes. uh, greater demands for social services and aging and all the care mm. arrangements. So it gets more expensive and you've got a shrinking tax base because you've got uh, an aging population as well. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the, the best way to do it uh, is to circle back and say, we'll grow the economy faster. Well, if we can right. grow the economy faster, it delivers more tax revenue. How do you do that? You fix the productivity problems, and that's how right. you can circle back to the whole thing. Yeah. Being ought to be, it ought to be about about improving productivity growth well, policy I, I, that improves productivity growth. I would agree with you entirely. Now that leads me. You, you've mentioned about the labour force, and and I'm really quite fascinated with these unemployment figures uh, in Australia and around the world at the moment. And there's, there seems to be some evidence, and I wonder if you can perhaps cast some light on it, that the composition of the labour force has changed during the course of the pandemic. And some people have just chosen to remove themselves and are no longer economically active. They're just not in it. Is, is, that, is that correct or have, have I misread it? I think that's true for the US. I think if you look at the US, yep. at least for the moment, they still haven't got all of the workers back who had left when the yep. pandemic arrived. Um, and I don't think we entirely know why. I don't think the, yeah. there are lots of different possible explanations. Yeah. Older workers who don't want to come back into a, a pandemic environment, uh, younger workers who have children who haven't got the child childcare arrangement. Yeah. The, the, there's lots of possibilities in the US, and they're calling it the Great Resignation, yeah. um, which you probably have heard. Yes, um, I have. This yeah. sort of idea that a whole bunch of people left the workforce. A lot of people came back, but not all of them. And so some people have, have decided not that they can opt out for the period. Yeah. But I don't think that's a feature in Australia. Right. I think, you know, the participation rate is at all-time highs in Australia. Um, a, a part of it was JobKeeper kept people attached to their jobs, and so they just came back into them when uh, they could They could come back into it when the work was there. Um, a part of a big part of it is that we closed the international border and stopped the inflow of workers. So yeah. what the businesses have been doing is trying to get hold of local workers to fill the gaps, and that's pushed up participation. So I, I don't think we have that feature really very much at all. Um, and it may it, it, it look it, it probably reflects a combination of things. A combination of we had a milder experience of the pandemic yeah. than most Western countries. Uh, yeah. We had a job the JobKeeper program was actually really successful at keeping people attached to their jobs. Um, and I think the other one would be that we closed the border and that took about four to 500,000 workers that would otherwise have come here 
out of the mix at the time when the economy was actually has yeah. been growing. So we yeah. needed. So that I, I don't I, I don't think that's a feature of the, the Australian story. Well, that's reassuring. That's because re- we want people economically productive, Paul. We don't want people not making any active contributions. Indeed. Now, that leads me on to my last question about the outlook for our economy. How do you think the outlook is for our economy here in Australia? And how do you think that compares with other big economies around the world? I think that we are in probably reasonable shape relative Mm to sort of Western countries. I think we've got a lot of things that are positive. We have a big commodity base. We export a lot of commodities. Commodity prices are high in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, I, 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 I think that's a positive. Um, I think we did better through the pandemic, so the economy's held together mm-hmm. better. The labour market's more better, intercon- better, better connected than as we described. And so, and, and we're still we're in the Asian region where Asian growth is still yes. faster on average than we have in the West, and we are tied to these these, yes. these Asian economies. Um, so, in a in a comparative sense to the rest of the world, I'd say we're in pretty good shape. But in a in a sense of where we are relative to where we've been through our own history. I think we face a few more challenges now than we've had for a while. And the primary one is how do we deal with a positive infl- an inflation shock? What does it mean? The housing market's cooling already. House prices yeah. are falling. Yeah. They're probably going to fall further. Yeah. You know, we've got a highly leveraged housing sector. How, how's that going to flow through? Um, and what's that going to mean? Um, and, and then we come circle back to the same fundamental, which is mm-hmm. we've had many years of weak productivity growth. Yeah. Um, you know, is the, did the pandemic shock us into adjustments enough that we might get a lift in productivity growth or not? And, and one thing it didn't do, which I, I rail against quite publicly, is unfortunately we did not use this shock as an opportunity to do more economic reform. Yeah, and yeah. and you know, so the shock, the crisis wasn't treated as an opportunity for doing economic reform. Yeah. None of the $340 billion that was spent supporting the economy, the, you know, 16% of GDP, on the pandemic really went into anything that, yeah. that could be described as something that was going to support medium-term growth. The only part of it would be some of the state government spending on infrastructure. I think that's yeah. probably a reasonable, reasonably say that's that's a positive outcome. Yeah. But the vast majority of it was spent on, on things that aren't really going to necessarily boost medium-term growth prospects. Yeah. Um, and so it's, a lot of it circles back to we need, we need stronger productivity growth and we need a reform agenda to get us there. Yeah, and we probably need to be a bit more innovative in our thinking going forward and not just the same old things. Yeah, innovation certainly is a key factor, a key. I mean, one one thing you could say is the pandemic forced everyone to digitise a lot more or digitalise their processes. Yeah. Um, you know, we might not have considered that we would do these events necessarily pre-pandemic. Very Maybe true. it would have been, I would have waited till I came to Perth to visit. And, That's but, very true. You know, it's a very common thing now that you, yes. everyone's just doing everything digitally and and it's a highly you know it improves efficiency yeah, substantially really yeah. in the scheme of things um, so so all in all Paul, you you think there's choppy waters ahead but if we're going to go some choppy waters we're probably in the best team we're doing okay yeah we're but we're we're in we're in reasonably again again australia i think if you wanted to step back to a fundamental you'd say our geography is helping us. Yes. Um, we, you know, we, we're well-placed being here in Asia. We're well-placed yeah. having a big commodity space yeah. in a world where demand for commodities is high and those high prices are high. Um, yeah. uh, but on the other hand, I guess, in part, you could also argue that that geography that's been so successful in helping us for so long 
might be one of the reasons we haven't had as much impetus for reform that then Indeed. can allow yeah. product to, you know so the two are yeah. somewhat interconnected interconnected as well so so which economy would you not want to be part of at the moment <laughs> there's a long list of those ones i'd say i i am I'm, I'm i'm quite happy to be uh, a part, uh you know I, the, well, the australia story is always one that's a good one to be able to tell i think and I, i've been I doing agree this with for you and i'm eternally grateful australia let me come in here for otherwise i would be sitting depressed in britain watching the economy plummeting well, most of us are either from somewhere else or uh, our parents were from somewhere else. I think this last time I saw the stats and we get the census next month uh, as well. So watch out for that, guys, in yes. terms of data you look at. Um, but the last time I saw the stats, something like 52% of the population was either born somewhere wow. else or their parents were born somewhere else. Yeah. And I fall into that category too. Both my parents were born somewhere else. So, um, you know, we are a country of, of migrants in principle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we seem to we we've we've seemed to have made that into a successful growth model as well. So I would very much hope that we continue to do that. That reopening the border and and looking like an attractive place is something that we can continue. So so yes, I I, I think we're okay. I, I you know I think we're in reasonable shape. We're in good comparative shape. But we'll probably do a bit better if yeah. we worked a bit harder on reform. Indeed. Well, I certainly enjoyed listening to Paul today, and I hope you did too. We'll be back again for another episode soon with more information about the economy. Bye for now.